Lord, I'm thankful for Dean. Thankful for who he is. I'm thankful that he's a faithful dad to people that I love and a faithful husband to a woman that I love a lot. I'm also thankful for him and who he is. I pray that you would fill him with your peace as he brings this teaching for us. I pray that you would calm any part of him that doesn't feel calm, his heart or his mind, and that you would make clear to him through the power of the Holy Spirit what he's to bring of what he's prepared. Thank you for the time that I know he's invested in this. And I pray that you would help us to have open hearts and open minds to hear what you're saying to us today through Dean. And I ask these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks. So I'm going to start with a story, um, a children's story that we had in our house for many years called The Giving Tree. And um, I was going to read it, but we couldn't find our book and I couldn't find the slides online. So there's a video of someone else reading it. Um, it's an interesting story, and I think there's many ways to interpret it, but it's a story that's kind of impacted me and stuck with me for many years, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later, but if the video works, we'll start with the story. What do you think, Sophia? It's from YouTube. Um, I can also just read it. I have the text, but then you miss the cool pictures. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> Imagination. If it really doesn't work, I can read it. I have the... Technology, man. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please get <laughs> A bam. Yeah. Hey. Nice. Tree by Shel Silverstein. Once it was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. 
and they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much, and the tree was happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day, the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat apples and play in my shade and be happy. I am too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you will have money and you will be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. Then one day, the boy came back. The tree shook with joy, and she said, Come boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I am too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm, he said. I want a wife and I want children, so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you will be happy. And so the boy cut off her branches and carried them away to build his house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could hardly speak. Come boy, she whispered, come and play. I am too old and sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you will sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down her trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. After a long time, the boy came back again. I am sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I am too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I am too tired to climb, said the boy. I am sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I am just an old stump. I am sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I am very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. 
Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. The end. Thanks for watching. Great story. Um, there's a lot of different ways to interpret it, but I, the way that I think I'd like to look at it today is we're looking at a sustainable outward focus, and I would suggest that the tree was not very sustainable in, in how she gave. Um, so I think that's a great visual of what we're trying to not do. If she would have stopped it, you know, maybe giving the leaves and the apples, then it could have been sustainable, but it went a little far. Great story of love, though. So we're going to look today um, at a passage about and see how Jesus gives and how he um, gives sustainably. So let's start with the passage. Uh, Luke 9, 28-43. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen, listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. So I like the Old Testament. I studied Hebrew when I was at Regent. And there is so much Old Testament in this passage, in, particularly in the mountain part. Um, if you think back to the Exodus, after Israel leaves Egypt, 
they cross the Red Sea, and then they come to Mount Sinai. And Moses goes up the mountain and meets with God. And um, that's when he receives the Ten Commandments. And he goes back down and to the valley where the people are, and the people are worshiping Egyptian gods. Um, so that's kind of when you see these, this passage of scripture that immediately comes to mind and is probably why it was written the way it was. On the mountain, Jesus, his appearance changed and his clothes looked like a flash of lightning. And this is, um, Moses used to meet in the tent of meeting, he used to meet with God. And when he left the tent, his face would shine with the glory of God. So this kind of reminds us of this. It reminds us of just the light of God and um, how Jesus is the Son of God. He meets with Moses and Elijah, and Moses is, you know, representing the law and the Exodus. Um, and this is really, Moses kind of represents the creation of Israel as a nation and, and really the beginning of that relationship with God, um, which also is symbolic of our own lives, of when we, when we come to know God, when we start out in not knowing God and come into the family of God. And Elijah was a prophet in the Old Testament during the reign of King Ahab, and he was a prophet when the nation of Israel was turning its back on God and just spoke to bring the people back to God. And interestingly, Elijah never died. Um, he went up to heaven in a chariot, and there was always this expectation that he would come back to usher in the end times. And later on in, in this passage, uh, Jesus does say that Elijah has actually come back, and John the Baptist was Elijah. So it's kind of this, um, it's symbolism telling us that we are in the end times, that Jesus is uh, God living with us, God in our midst, which is the beginning of um, us being in the presence of God forever, for eternity. And they spoke of Jesus' upcoming death, which is interesting. So I, it's kind of the sense that, I mean, Jesus knows he's in Jerusalem. He knows his time is short, and he knows he's going to die. And he's probably, Jesus is always really tricky because he's God, and he's man, human, you know, and how does that work? And, but I would think he wasn't super excited about dying, you know, because I'm not, and projection. Anyway, um. So I'm sure that they talked about that and, and that Moses and Elijah were supporting him in the, his struggle with what was to come. And of course, the disciples are sleeping, um, just like they were in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I mean, this is probably at night, because Jesus tends to go pray in the mountain at night. So it's understandable that they, they are asleep, but there might be kind of a spiritual slumber over them as well. And a, cow, a cloud appeared and covered them. Because there isn't enough Old Testament symbolism yet, you know, 
that God is there. We also now have, we kick it up a notch and we have the glory cloud of God, which we see on Mount Sinai and the, the cloud led the Israelites through the desert. When the first temple was dedicated in Jerusalem, the cloud of God filled the temple. So very, God is here like real strong. Um, kind of that's the point. Um, and then God says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. So just another affirmation to Jesus of who he is and, and that God is with him. So that's a pretty cool experience. Like, you're, you're taking off all the boxes for really a, a really amazing experience of being close to God there. So then they come down the mountain the next morning and a crowd meets him. So this is a, when people still like Jesus. You know, there was a brief phase where they really liked him and wanted him to fix their problems, really. And that's kind of the problem. A man requests Jesus to bring healing to his son. And, and this is understandable. I mean, it's his only son. It's his heir. It's supposed to carry on the family name. So it's kind of a big deal that his son is not well. Um, and the disciples tried to heal their son. But presumably, they didn't have enough strength to do it in in. Mark's version of this passage, Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer, which suggests that the disciples were trying to do it under their own strength, which is easy to do. And Jesus is frustrated here, and it's a little bit, we're not really sure why. Um, I mean, I can imagine after spending this, having this amazing encounter with God to come back to the problems of life, and that would be hard. But I can also imagine that um, he's frustrated because he's there to be God in our midst. He's, he's meant, it's meant to be a relationship, and the people, by and large, just want someone to fix their problems. They want the, the magic magician that just comes and poof, everything's okay, fix my son, give me more money, or whatever, you know, and that's not really what it's about. So I can imagine Jesus would be frustrated by that as well. But Jesus obliges and heals them, and they were amazed. So let's move on from that and talk a little bit about mountains and valleys in our own lives and and just how we live. And I think it's important because um, all of us need to be close to God. And, and hopefully all of us have had experiences where we felt his presence quite strongly. That's probably why we're here, because we had that experience. And it's an important part of our Christian life because it's, it's, um, it's where we are filled. It's where we um, get strength from. But the valley is also important. It's easy for us to not feel like the valleys, like the harder parts of life, 
are important, but they very much are because God is there too. And um, Jesus becomes our incarnate on earth through us when we give in the valley. So it's, it's kind of a both and, and they both show, both the mountains and the valley show different parts of God's love. Um, this is uh, The Transfiguration of Jesus by Raphael. So up on top we have Jesus and Moses and Elijah and the glory, like the shining, the cloud, God in the midst, um, the disciples asleep. And then in the bottom we have the valley there which with the people and their needs and the, the sun who needs the demon cast out. I just thought it was very interesting because if I was to paint the transfiguration of Jesus, I really would have only painted the top bit. It wouldn't have occurred to me that the valley is also part of the picture. But it very much is because it's not just this experience of the closeness of God, it's also bringing that experience to everyone. So love, God's love, is not, love gives, I guess, is the point. And if you're not giving, then it's not really love. Yeah, so the holiness of the everyday is easy to overlook. Um, and we talk about it a lot here. We also talk about Henry Nouwen quite a bit. He's a theologian, and he was an academic. He was quite successful, wrote a bunch of books, and gave it all up and served a, a single person for the remainder of his life. And he would say that he found that part more meaningful than the, than the mountain experience. He found the valley more meaningful. Try to think of this when you know I'm at home doing the dishes or something. And it doesn't feel very holy. But maybe there is less of a difference between those mountaintop experiences and the valleys than we really think. It's just trying to grasp that and be aware of that. So life is about balance. And as a church, we're looking at trying to have a sustainable outward focus. And the, the hard part of this is the sustainable bit. Having an outward focus, we can do that, um, but trying to do it in such a way that we can continue to do it is the hard bit. Wow, that was cool. Yeah, <laughs> and we're done. Woo! I don't know what happened. <laughs> this, this morning it occurred to me that I didn't print a copy of this. So if I don't have the PowerPoint, that's it. <laughs> Here we go. Woo! Balance. Yeah. And it's really about balancing the vertical and the horizontal. So we have this vertical relationship with God um, where we talk with him and, and 
he meets with us, and then we have the horizontal relationship with each other, and we love each other and we care for each other. And it's, there's this balance between the two. There's a balance between fill, being filled with God and giving to others. And it requires maturity to have this, to, to have this balance. Extremes are always easier. And it's very easy to either just want to spend all your time with God and seek out these amazing experiences or um, just get so caught up in the needs and the giving that you forget about God. Or not that you forget, but you forget about those experiences and you forget about trying to be close to God in the midst of it. So to go back to the book, um, one of the things that ended up with myself is I kind of ended up identifying with the tree. Um, this particularly, the last 10 years maybe, when Rose, my wife, she went to school, five years, 10 years, <laughs> felt like 10 years. Anyway, um, <laughs> she went back to university, which put a lot of pressure on me. We have uh, three children. Um, and, and then after that, we got through that. She was working and then she had a car accident and I ended up, she's functional, but she has um, a brain injury and there are limitations. So being who I am, I tried my best to make her life easier. And um, really for a lot of that time, just denied my own needs and denied, kind of really distant from God the whole time too. And it's only really recently that I've realized that I've been doing that for a while and it's profoundly unhealthy way to live. Um, so, <laughs> too much self-disclosure. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, uh, things are getting better. I'm, I'm now aware. Awareness is first step, right? Ooh. Anyway, I've, I very much identified with the tree and very much identify with having an unbalanced life and I'm trying to do things now to be more balanced and to, but it's hard, you know, you develop these patterns of behavior and I, I'm seeing a counselor and she asked me, well, what, what do you really want to do? If you could do anything, what would you do? And I'm like, no idea, I don't even know. <laughs> because I've just denied that for so long. So that's unhealthy. Don't be like that. Don't be like the tree. We want to be balanced. And that might not be who you are. I mean, I'm, my nature is a servant nature, and I tend to give, and it's easy for me to do too much in that respect. It's not like that for everyone. With those of you taking the Emotionally Healthy Relationship course, which is really good, and I've, I'm in it, I've been enjoying it, though it's been hard. Um, this is from the book, and it, I thought it was applicable. Jesus was not selfless. He did not live as if only other people counted. He knew his value and his worth. He had friends. He asked people to help him. At the same time, Jesus was not selfish. 
He did not live as if nobody else counted. He gave his life out of love for others. From a place of loving union with his Father, Jesus has a mature, healthy, true self. So I just thought that was really profound. Um, just this idea that, I mean, Jesus was, he's a model for us of a healthy human. And he has a very balanced life. And I just never thought of the selfless versus selfish kind of way of looking at things. And I think there's, I would tend to see it as there's things we do that are selfless and there's things that we do that are more selfish, but it's about the balance that matters. And it does require a lot of maturity to do that. I spoke a little about this, but it's easy. You know, I grew up, um, when I first became a Christian, it was time the time of the Toronto Blessing, and there was a lot of people that kind of chased after these experiences. <laughs> I might have been one of them. Prairie Fire, if you, Toronto Blessing, they, people from Toronto came to Winnipeg, so we would drive two hours from Kenora and go see the Go be blessed, which wasn't bad. I mean, it was super exciting and it was a good thing, but if that's what your Christian walk becomes, then that's not very balanced or sustainable. Or the opposite when is, yeah, getting so caught up in the needs of the people around you that you die and you forget about your relationship with God. There is always more needs around you than you can fill. And it's just one of those things that's true and it's very unpleasant because especially if you want to help people, you can't. You, you have to stop somewhere. And it feels like you're being mean, but it's actually, it's wisdom. And, and conversely, there's always more of God than we have ex experienced. And that's endless. And we get to do that in eternity, but for now, we can't experience all of God. We live in the messy middle. Hooray. Barton Buber, um, most famously, uh, the book he wrote, I and Thou. Um, so he, he's a theologian, and this is just a quote from a different book he wrote, which I think is applies to us today. So what happened, this is Martin Moover speaking, what happened was no more than one, uh, than one afternoon after a morning of religious enthusiasm, I had a visit from an unknown young man without being there in spirit. I certainly did not fail to let the me meeting be friendly. I conversed attentively and opened and openly with him only I omitted to guess the questions which he did not put. Later, not long after, I learned from one of his friends, he himself was no longer alive. The essential content of these questions, I learned that he had come to me, not casually, but born by destiny, destiny, not for a chat, but for a decision. And he had come to me, and he had come this hour. So this man had come to Martin 
and and Martin Buber was distracted by his religious experiences and never really connected with the young man. And the man ended up killing himself. So it was a very, <laughs> Martin Buber was very um, upset and very, it, it radically changed how he viewed the world. And after that, he really began to, began to realize how important um, being present to the people around us are. And that's one of the things we're trying to do in the EHR course is to learn to be present to each other. And it's hard work. Like to actually listen to someone well is, requires a lot of work. And we're so ready to try to fix things that, that we rarely even listen. Or we're so focused on ourselves that to hear another is, is hard. Yeah, I'm going to balance. Balance is a good word. Um, there's pitfalls. One of them is you can feel like you're too broken to give. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes you need to pull back and there needs to be healing. But a lot of times that's just a lie. And you can give even when you are broken because we all are broken and if we wait until we're good then we'll be dead and we won't be able to give anymore so our healing often comes through giving as well learning to say no is important as is learning to say yes so you kind of have to look at yourself and which one's harder for you for some of us we have to say no for some of us you really need to stay in yes and do something and there's seasons and we have to respect that because um it's about self-care as well like i in my story, the season I'm in right now would be, this would be a bad time for me to go and serve a lot more than I am right now because I really, I'm in a time of healing and I need to be selfish right now until I get a better handle on who I am. And then I can give again. But if I'm still here in 10 years, then you need to give me a kick in the butt. So. <laughs> 10 years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put it in your phone. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard me make this point, so I'm going to say it again. It's about balance. <laughs> we don't want to be selfless. We don't want to be selfish. We don't want to be just on the mountain. We don't want to be just in the valley. Life is all about balance. Self-care without being self-centered. Um, yeah, we just want to try to have a sustainable outward focus and be in the messy middle of that balance. And it's not easy. It requires a great deal of maturity and, and knowing who you are. Yes. And then there's some questions in your bulletin. So you can ponder where you are on this continuum and what kinds of things you should do to have more of a balanced life. And then I'm going to...
people are writing. It's in your bulletin. Um, I'm going to finish with a prayer, which I think was, I like it because it's kind of a balance between both, our, our, uh, our need for God and also our giving to each other. So let's pray. <clears throat> See, Lord, an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in the faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent, so that my love, my love may go out to my neighbor. I do not have a strong and firm faith. At times I doubt, and I am unable to trust you altogether. O oh Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. In you I have sealed all the treasures I have. I am poor, you are rich, you came to be merciful to the poor. I am a sinner, you are upright. With me there is an abundance of sin. In you is the fullness of righteousness. Therefore, I will remain with you. So Lord, I just pray that you would help us to find that balance, that you would... Um, Help us to live sustainably um, and to mature. I pray that you would draw close to us, both when we're in those amazing experiences with you, but also that we would feel your presence when we're in the valley doing the hard work. I just thank you that your grace is so great and that you accept and love us no matter what we do. Amen.